With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a great show for you this week. We're going to be breaking down the results of the championship games, what those results mean, and then we're going to bring a special guest to kick off draft season. We're here in Mobile, Alabama, and then of course I get to all of your questions this week in a special edition. We're bringing it back of the six pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. Championship weekend is in the books. Super Bowl 54 is set. The AFC champion, Kansas City Chiefs. And the NFC champion, San Francisco 49ers, will meet at Hard Rock Stadium on February 2nd. It's the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer, live from Mobile, Alabama this week. We will get to what we're doing here in Mobile in just a little bit, but I want to give you guys the takeaways from the week. And of course, we're going to start with the two conference champions. My takeaway number one is how impressive what we saw from the 49ers is and the lesson that every other team can take from watching what the 49ers have built and what I think will be a very sustainable sustainable roster, sustainable team-building um, strategy, like what, what I think is going to sustain them over the years to come. And that is they're built with purpose. They're built for the coaches. They're built for their coaching staff. And if you want to go down the list, you look at it, right? On defense, what do you need to run that scheme? The old Seattle scheme that Robert Sala brought over, you need dominant defensive linemen. They've got four first-round picks along that defensive line that they took among the top 10 picks. 
Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, and of course Nick Bosa. And then they trade for D Ford, another former first round pick. They've got depth on the defensive line. They built that for the coaches. What do they need at the linebacker level? Speed to clean up everything as the defensive linemen get upfield. They bring in Quan Alexander. They draft Drake, Drake Greenlaw. On the back end, they need heady players, right? So they bring Richard Sherman over from Seattle. And then on offense, look, every one of those running backs, all five of those running backs may not be big names. All of them run 4-4 four, four or faster. What's the idea there? Well, the idea is the scheme is going to set you up to run through seams, and they need guys who can hit the seams hard, who can hit the seams fast. And Raheem Mozart is a perfect example of it. Perfect example of a guy who may not fit everywhere, but in San Francisco, he's a really, really good fit. You can even take it to a George Kittle, right, who you can see him block when he was at Iowa, and they get him in the fifth round, and they say, we like some of his movement skills. Let's see if we can develop them. Just so impressive what they've been able to build. And I think giving one of the brightest young coaches to come into the league in a long time, and Kyle Shanahan, exactly what he needs to succeed, which I think he had in Atlanta too. Um, if you look at the way that Falcons offense was built, he had that in Atlanta as well. Um, the results aren't that surprising. The results that when you when you go all in on a coach and that coach is really bright and you build for that coach and you're not just throwing talent on the roster to throw talent on the roster and there's a method behind it, this is what you get. Takeaway number two. This is a different Chiefs team than 2018 Chiefs. 2018 Chiefs were far more spectacular maybe a little bit more fun to watch on a week-to-week basis. But this is a tougher team. This is a more resilient team. I think Patrick Mahomes is a tougher, more resilient quarterback, and it's a more well-rounded team. And I think the two things you can take from the way that game went on Sunday. Number one, the run by Mahomes said everything about who the Chiefs have become. In that spot, with 22 seconds left, for Mahomes to make something out of nothing, do it with his feet and be resourceful like that and be tough and put his shoulder down and bury it in Tremaine Brock's chest and spin off of him and dive into the end zone. It's a show of who Mahomes is as a player like and who he is as an athlete. But I think as much as anything else, how resourceful he was and how willing he was to take whatever the defense was going to give him. And then you saw the defense, the Chiefs defense close it out, which they wouldn't have been able to do last year. And Tyron Matthew making big stop after big stop on the final series for the Titans. Um, you know, you just you see a tougher, more resilient, more well-rounded team. And so the team last year, they could beat you by 30. The team this year, they aren't spectacular like that, but they're better in the big spots. And I think a lot of that's a result of what they went through from an injury standpoint, the injuries on the offensive line. Uh, you know, Sammy Watkins missed some time. Tyree Kill missed some time. Even Mahomes got hurt. So having gone through what they went through there, I think forced them to become a little bit more well-rounded and more resilient and more resourceful. And maybe they learned a little bit from going out the way that they went out last year. And yeah, now the team looks like, again, maybe I think as well-rounded a team as they've had in the Andy Reid era. Number three, Tom Brady's situation came up again over the weekend with pictures of Brady surfacing with Mark Davis, the Raiders owner at the UFC fight in Vegas. I think we're going to continue to see these sorts of things. And so let me tell you what I know on Brady. Number one, I do think that having family in New York, specifically his son, Jack is a factor here. 
And when you look at the whole real estate situation, to me, there's a real life application to this, right? The real life application to it is if you didn't know where you were going to work in three months, in four months, but you didn't know where your family was going to be for the next 20 years, what would you do? You'd probably say, okay, I'm going to put my family where, where they're going to be for the next 20 years and I'll be the one who has to travel around. So I think the real estate thing is, it is as much a, it's a sign of, I, I think, a preference to stay close to the East Coast. And I think it's also a sign of his willingness to move on. Now, I don't know that he knows if he's actually going to be able to pull the trigger. And until the Patriots show their cards and show how far they're willing to go, we don't know. They, like, at this point, I think it's as much about respect as it is about money. I think what he wanted last summer was years. I think he wanted the Patriots to take him basically to retirement, ensure that he would finish his time in the NFL as a Patriot, and it didn't work out. They gave him a pay bump. They didn't give him years. So I think now it becomes a little bit more about money because that's the way that you're going to show respect because you didn't do that with the years last year. And so I think this is going to boil down to when we get to the middle of March, it's going to boil down to options. What options do the Patriots have? What options do the, do the do, do, does the Brady camp have? Do the Patriots have a better option than Tom Brady? A lot of that's going to be determined on what their roster looks like. And are they going to roll it back with that defense that had nine starters who were 29 or older at the end of the year? Are they going to roll it back with that defense? If they are, there's probably not a better option out there for the Patriots than to plug Tom Brady in and make another run at a championship. If they're going to blow it up, we're talking about something else. And on the Brady side, what sort of options is he going to have? And how many teams out there are going to be willing to blow it up for a 43-year-old? It's difficult to say. It's definitely difficult to say. Okay, speaking of real estate, takeaway number four, Philip Rivers moving his family to Florida sort of highlights again how mobile some of these quarterbacks are and how we're going to have an idea by March 10th which way all of this is going to go. Now, you may ask, what's March 10th? Well, that's eight days before the start of free agency. It's also the deadline to put the franchise tag on players. My belief is the Chargers' plan all along has been to franchise Philip Rivers, but the fact that he moved makes you wonder if now he's gotten a win that maybe that plan has changed with how he played down the stretch. The Titans are going to have to make a decision on Ryan Tannehill. Both those places have, I would say, some natural connections for Brady. Frable and Nashville. Brady's from California. Again, I don't know how far he wants to go from the East Coast. But there are some natural connections there. So by March 10th, we're going to know if the Chargers have put the franchise tag on Phillip Rivers. And we're going to know if the Titans have put the franchise tag on Ryan Tannehill. I think the Colts could be in the mix with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni. Um, there certainly would be a draw there for Phillip Rivers. Um, Colts could also make a run at somebody like Nick Foles. I think they'll be in the mix for some of the draft quarterbacks. If the Patriots lose Brady and all of a sudden they're in the mix, what do they do? There are a lot of moving parts. And so the coverage of Brady at the UFC fight, the coverage of the moving trucks in front of Philip Rivers' house, I buckle up 
because we got two months of that coming. Finally, takeaway number five. This is the start of, and this is where I'll get to telling you guys why we're in Mobile. This is the start of the 2020 season for 28 of the 32 teams. For all but the four teams that are that 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 were playing last weekend, they're now full on into 2020. Obviously, the Niners and Chiefs are you know splitting their uh, splitting that up. You know, the Niners and Chiefs have scouts here, but you know, like they're like a lot of their football operations focus on what's going to happen on Miami, in Miami. The Titans and Packers are digging out from under the season now, exit interviews, all of that sort of stuff. So, uh, but for the other 28. It starts here in Mobile, Alabama. This is when the coaches get involved in the scouting process. And this is when we start to talk about the draft class. Really deep receiver class. A good offensive tackle class at the top. Um, there's a couple of really good defensive linemen. I'd say defensive front seven players. And um, in Chase Young, who will be the first defensive player taken, but even after him, Derek Brown from Auburn, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, the linebacker. But of course, we're going to be talking a lot about the quarterbacks. And so this week, and we'll talk to, to our special guests coming up about this, this week, there's going to be a golden opportunity put at the feet of Justin Herbert, a golden opportunity put at the feet of Jordan Love. Both those guys have a chance to make up ground. Tua Tagovailoa is still hurt, still coming back from the hip. Joe Burrow is not here. And I don't know that anybody can pass Joe Burrow, but this is a great opportunity for those guys to make up ground. And we've seen quarterbacks use this week as a launching pad. Daniel Jones from Duke last year. Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma the year before that. Two years before that, Carson Wentz from North Dakota State. Not many people had heard of him. Coming out of this week, they had. The two names I would watch, Jordan Love from Utah State, Justin Herbert from Oregon. All right. We're going to get to our special guest right after this. All right, we got ESPN's Todd McShay here. We're out at Senior Bowl practices. Um, Todd, let's start here. I, I think, you know, every year it's, it starts with the quarterbacks. And um, it feels to me, at least here, like Justin Herbert has an opportunity because Tua's hurt because Joe Burrow's not here. Um, do you see a scenario where he could catch up with those two? It's a good question. I, I think Tua's the biggest wild card. He's the, the unknown of this group and simply because of the hip. Now, if, if he was healthy and didn't have the hip injury, we would be debating Burrow versus Tua, Tua for that first pick. But... Now it's, it really is a wait-and-see game. So, yes, there is potential for an opportunity. Uh, just watching the, the very first practice, he's so clearly better than the other quarterbacks on, on that roster, and, and he's clearly the most talented quarterback here. Now, why didn't he carry Oregon? Why didn't he play with more consistency at times? It was an offense that really wanted to run the football with Mario Cristobal at Oregon, and that's as a former offensive lineman, that's just kind of the mentality. So it is an opportunity in that he comes out in, a, in an environment where it's more pro-style. They're trying to throw the football around. They want to see what you can do throwing the ball. He has a huge arm. Mm -hmm. He looks the part. He's mobile. He, I even thought watching drills that – 
his footwork and some of the quickness was better when they were doing bag drills and, and just working on their footwork. He was almost as athletic or more athletic than Jalen Hurts, who is, we all know is a, a terrific athlete. So, um, so far, so good for Herbert. I think it, there's an opportunity, and even if he's the third quarterback taken, mm-hmm. He can help himself here and maybe instead of the twentieth pick, he's the tenth pick, whatever right. it is. Something exactly. like that. Yeah. Exactly. So is Jordan Love in their class then too? Because that's the name I I've heard enough about. Like I I had I had someone say to me, like this could be the guy that teams sort of really like but kind of keep it quiet. Like with the I think Mahomes was the ultimate case of that three years ago, right? right. Like yep. where there were a bunch of teams that really liked him and just didn't talk about it. Exactly. Um, does Jordan Love have that sort of potential to maybe turn into that guy where? Certain teams just look at him and say, there's a lot to work with here. He's raw. He didn't have a great last year, but we can definitely – we definitely see something. There. Coming into the year, there were a couple scouts that I talked to that thought he was a first, Jordan Love was a first-round draft pick. And I, he didn't play like that this year. The LSU game, the LSU game simply – they were overmatched. Mm-hmm. And so from that point on, it almost seemed like maybe some confidence was lost or you know, he just – didn't have the season that we expected him to have based off of the previous year. I don't even think he completed 60% of his throws. And he, he turned the ball over too frequently. But he's got a big arm. We're, we're looking at him right now. I mean, he he has the, the frame. He can continue to get bigger and stronger. But he's athletic. I think what he does really well is extend plays and create. I think what he has to learn to do, and, and it's going to depend on who drafts him and, and whether he's coached well, but learn to play within the offense and the structure and learn to be more consistent with his feet. And this is a, this is a great opportunity for him. I, th- I think when you look at it, really, it's Herbert and then Love in terms of the quarterbacks that are, that are at their senior bowl. Okay, so let's go back to Burrow then. Yep. You know how this works. Like, he's perfect now. No yep. one's saying anything negative about him. Oh, and he's going to suck and, in three <laughs> yeah, weeks. Yeah, so, like, in six weeks, <laughs> yeah. what, what, in six weeks, what are we saying about Joe Burrow? I, if you're, like, the negative will be he doesn't have an elite arm. And some people are, are obsessed with that. I think it's an overrated trait. I think if you have a baseline, then, um, then the re- everything else is so much more important. The accuracy, consistency, timing. Ability to extend, which I think is becoming more and more important in, in today's NFL, which is a more finesse NFL, and there's a lot more uh, in terms of trying to get players in space and doing different things. So I think the lack of arm strength might be if you're nitpicking. Also, why didn't he win the job at Ohio State? Even yeah. though Urban loved him. Um, Transferred and had one year where he was just kind of a game manager and wasn't great, and then had the, this past year was it you know was it Joe Brady coming in as the coordinator and and making him better? Was it that he had so many good wide receivers that finally grew up and and uh, Clyde Edwards at the running back position and the offensive line protected him well? I mean there were so many things that went well for LSU this year, but my goodness, <laughs> man, yeah, he is so talented. I, I didn't see it last year, and it, it still is annoying me. But just watching him on the field three times this year, meeting with him and seeing the confidence that he has, and, and watching how quickly he gets the ball out, the decisions he makes, the toughness that he has. I mean, he's, he, 
he did have great protection for the most part, but when he gets hit, it's not like he's peeling himself off the ground. He's popping right back up, and he, he's just a gamer. You know, he's, he's got a couple brothers, I think, are linebackers. His dad was a defensive player, I think, in Nebraska. They, he's just – it's in him his whole life. He's a football guy. And then the poise in the pocket is something you I don't think you can coach that natural instinct of feeling it while not looking at it. And that's what, to me, Joe Burrow does at an exceptionally high level. It's what Tom Brady has always done. It's what Drew Brees does. It's what Aaron Rodgers does. Those, those are the guys that if, if you're working from inside the pocket, and he's still mobile, but if you're working from inside the pocket, you've got to be able to have your feet tied to your eyes, and you've got to, you've got to be able to go through progressions quickly, and you've got to be able to feel pressure without looking at it and getting scared by it. And that, that's, to me, what makes him a potential number one overall pick. So the Brady comp, like I've heard the Brady comp as far as how he moves in the pocket is fair. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah. I think it's fair. I think you know, Brady, Brady does a great job of getting the ball up quickly. Yeah. And as, as his career has progressed, he's had to more, you know. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I'm not saying he's as mobile as him, but Aaron Rodgers does as good a job as any quarterback that I've seen of keeping his his feet. It's hard to explain. Yeah, <laughs> I'm his showing feet, his feet. Tied I'm showing in. you right now, <laughs> yeah. but that, that that doesn't help in this uh, yeah. in this medium. But his feet tied to his eyes, and by that I mean. You know, when he's going from progression one to two to three, a lot of times if you just study quarterback, the eyes are moving, the head's moving, but the feet aren't coming with it. And then all of a sudden you're ready to pull the trigger. Almost like a gun, but then now you don't have your finger on the trigger. Right. And so you throw off balance and lose accuracy. So um, is it hard to see a scenario where he's not the first one? Is it hard to it's hard is it hard for you to see a scenario right now where he's not a Cincinnati? Let me say this. I've talked to a couple scouts that don't think as highly of him as as I do and a lot yeah. of people do, but I've talked to a lot of scouts who do. So um, so the only scenario would be is if the Bengals are sitting there at one and for whatever reason they you know, in their draft room they decide that he's not the guy or he doesn't have have the grade that a lot of other people have on him. But I would be shocked. I mean, yeah. I, I I would put it at like a ninety five percent chance okay. at this point. So, but you think Tua, like if he was healthy, yes, and that's obviously a big F. But if he was healthy, we would be discussing like who oh, who's going first. Absolutely, no question about it. I, I think I think the accuracy that Tua has down the field is exceptional. His timing, he's so he he's more Drew Brees. You yeah. know, we compared. Burrow with Brady, then two is Drew Brees, but from the left-hand side. Uh Just the twitchiness. And that's the big thing with the hip. The ankles are fine. You know, that's fixed. And you saw that he was the same player when he came back and was healthy. But the hip, is that going to affect his ability to – because he's not the tallest guy. He's not the biggest guy. So he's got to be able to move his his feet and and move around the pocket and find passing windows. Is is his hip going to – affect him long term or even short term in terms of what he can do just moving around and, and being that same guy i think that's the big question yeah i had a, i had like a pretty smart scout say to me they, they say in their draft room broke stay broke and it's like kind of like a crass way of explaining it but you look at like the quarterbacks who come in with injury problems whether locker in 11 bradford in 10 um, Griffin in twelve. You were the one who told me, and yeah. I've used this. I've used, and, I, and I've and I've given your you credit because you were the one who I forget who we were talking about 
when we were talking about it, but it's like every single one of them but got hurt again. They're like, what did you say, like seven over? Wentz in sixteen, 10 years. yeah. Um, Watson in seventeen, like they all got hurt again. Yep, it started with Bradford, right? Yep. Sam Bradford yep. it was like over a ten-year span, like just about every quarterback you go back and had an injury, and it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same injury, you know. It, it but some guys just are prone to injury, right. and and you're right. I, it's a great point, and it's a, absolutely a concern. And that, that it would, in my opinion, if I'm making the decision, Cincinnati, that that would be the big difference. Even if I had the same exact grade on the two, I, I want to go with the guy that just seems to not, you know, be affected by getting hit, and and just doesn't has not to this point gotten injured. Okay, so let's look at the rest of the class then. Is there one position that you look at and say, and I think I know where you're going to go here, but is there one position where you say like? That's got a chance to be the best we've seen at that position in a while. Wide receiver, I yeah. pulled it up, yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. When you start to look at – I've got like three pages here of wide receivers. C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. Obviously, Jerry Judy. It starts with Judy. Uh, coming from Alabama. C.D. Lamb. Henry Ruggs, the other Alabama receiver who I didn't know if he was going to come out or not. He's not a great route runner, but he, he's going to run in like – Four twos, yeah. Yeah, high four twos, low four threes. Justin Jefferson from LSU, T. Higgins from Clemson. I mean, there, there's all different types, too. Judy's the best route runner I think I've ever watched in 20 years of evaluating players. Higgins is a big physical guy. Jefferson is exceptional at contested catches. Um, C.D. Lamb is, is great after the catch and strong. Yeah, I mean, you got all these different. Uh, uh, Lavisca Chenault from from Colorado, Brandon Ayuk, who I think I'm saying his name correctly, from Arizona State, it, it is probably the most underrated player at the wide receiver position this year. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at the list. KJ yeah. Hamler from Penn State, Donovan People Jones didn't have a great opportunity at Michigan in terms of catching the ball, but he, but he's a really good player. So I've got right now, I have. 15 receivers with grades in the top three and there are a few more guys that could move in you got even like De- uh, Devin Duvernay who had a great practice earlier today from Texas but 15 to 17 guys probably in the first three rounds so in context like that's how rare is that it's it's real it's up there I mean it, yeah. it wouldn't I don't think it would be record-breaking but I, I do think when you talk about I would say the cutoff is there. You might have six guys in the first round at wide receiver. Right. So you're talking about one of the better wide receiver classes we've seen in a while, and teams are looking for these guys mm-hmm. now. It's become a league. I can remember teams would, were worried about drafting wide receivers and they didn't want to spend an early pick on them. Now it's a league where, all right, if I, I've got a quarterback and I've got, a pa- I've got pass rushers, that's probably the next best or most important position out there because of the way the game is changing. Okay, so I asked you, what are the chances Joe Burrow isn't the first quarterback? What are the chances that Chase Young isn't the first non-quarterback? Zero percent. <laughs> okay. I mean, he, he, so you can fit him for a Redskins jersey. Yeah, I mean, I would, and and if Cincinnati makes the decision that they don't want, they don't like Burrow, and they're worried about Tua, then then it's Young. You yeah. know, I mean, he's that good. He, I love the Boses. He's more physically gifted than the Boses. Now, the Boses were both more NFL-ready when they yeah. came out in terms of technique and the hand placement. and I mean, they've been developed almost like machines since they were kids. Right. And they love the game, and it's just like they just know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may take Chase a minute, 
but damn, he is talented. I mean, he yeah. he he bends better than them. He's a little bit he's faster than them. Um, and once he continues to develop his hands and, and his leverage and those things that the Boses do so well, he's got a chance to be as good, if not better. And that's saying, I mean, look at what, what yeah. Nick did this year. It's saying a lot. And when you would think with, like, what the Redskins have, too, like with Sweat there, with Jonathan Allen there, and right. then you look at what the Niners built and what the Niners have been able to do with def- dominant defensive line, it makes all the sense in the world. It makes so much sense. And, it, I mean, it really it's become quarterback, pass rusher, and then wide receiver, like mm-hmm. I said. And pass rusher is so important. It, it just takes the pressure off of everyone else. And in a game now where we're, we're not lining up and pounding the ball between the tackles and running the football all the time and, and trying to wear defenses out, you need guys that can actually like, get, get home. Mm-hmm. And it's great to have guys on the outside. It's even better to have guys on the interior. But, um, but Chase Young, to me, I mean, it's, it's, got, it's not really even close. Okay. In terms of a great, I, I think it's going to be one. Well, how does he rank historically? Though? I was like, going to say you look at Mario Williams. You look at Jadevian Clowney. You look at. I was going to put him with Clowney, um, uh, Miles Garrett. Uh, who else? I, he's in that. He's like he, firmly in that category. Yeah, he's in. I grade to a hundred, and I've never given a hundred. Andrew Luck out of 99. I don't think a defensive player's ever gotten higher than a 98, 97, 98. And I've got a 96 on him right now. Okay. And, and Miles was like a 95, 96, somewhere in that range. So he's up there with the best I've ever evaluated. The Boses were both in the like 95, 96 range as well. Okay, last thing from me then. If, if we, we talked about the quarterbacks, so take them out of it. Um, or at least take Love and Herbert out of it. If there's one guy here that you think is going to help himself or you're just excited to watch, who is it? Uh, we're watching the North practice right now after the South is... is Either team, though. Yeah. Um, Michael Pittman Jr. from USC, the wide receiver. I, he's a special dude, and I think it's gonna, that'll come out during the interviews. It may not be on the field as much, but I love hearing the stories when you talk to scouts and you talk to GMs who you know, spend the whole night, and they're not done until 11 o'clock with, the, with all their interviews, and they come back and we're like... All right, this guy's a turd. This guy's pain. <laughs> this guy's trouble. This guy is awesome. And yeah. Pittman's going to be one of those guys. I'm, I'm guessing that I'm going to get a bunch of reports back. Just like the charity work he's done, overcoming, stuttering is, is a young kid and, and working now to help other young kids. Um, and the hard work he puts in, he's, he's going to be one of those guys that gets drafted in, like, I don't know, late second, third round. And, and someone's w- going to be really happy. And, that and winds happen. up playing for – like 12 years and and becomes either the number one or their great number two in the league yeah okay awesome he's todd mcshay follow him at mcshay 13 on twitter and you'll be all over the place this is this, this is actually this is the end of our season this is the start of your season right we're, we're warming up <laughs> all right thanks todd thanks man all right thanks to todd we've had him on before you guys are familiar with him Always does a great job. Be sure again to check him out at McShay13 on Twitter and, of course, across all the ESPN platforms. Does awesome draft work, has for a long time. We're going to get into the questions now. We're taking it old school because I'm remote this week. Uh, I don't have Shelby next to me, so I don't have anybody to read the questions. I don't have the email in front of me. I don't have the voicemails in front of me. So we're going to answer your questions via Twitter And it's going to be just like the six-pack back in the day, right? You guys who've listened to the podcast for a while understand how that works. Put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get a heart. 
a little heart emoji, like I hit the like button on your tweet. So you get the like and you get an answer here. Question number one is coming from Panthers Culture. That's at Panthers Culture. What is your take on the Panthers coaching staff hires? And do you think Jim Caldwell would be a good fit as an assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator mentor? I'll get to the last part of that first. I think somebody like Caldwell, Scott Linehan, Ben McAdoo, they've talked to a number of these guys, would be really good for Joe Brady. So I I really like the idea of having somebody there who has play-calling experience who can help ease the transition for Joe Brady. I love the way that that Matt Rule has put the the staff together. Phil Snow is his right-hand man, one of his most trusted guys, was with him at Temple, was with him at Baylor, understands the program. You need to have a top lieutenant who can kind of – be the be be a be another deliverer of the message, and I think that's what he has in Phil Snow, a guy he really really trusts. An offense, look, I understand people saying like 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 kind of raising an eyebrow to the Joe Brady thing. What they did at LSU was downright historic, and I think it's very very difficult to compare it to anything we've seen in the recent past. Because this sort of thing has just flat out not happened before. And if you want me to pull up the numbers for you, you know what? I'll pull up some of the numbers for you. They were first in the country in total offense. They were first in the country in yard, in, uh, in, in offensive touchdowns. They were second in the country in yards per play. Joe Burrow threw for 5,671 yards, 5, yards and 60 touchdowns. They scored 45 on Texas, 42 on Florida, 46 on Alabama, 50 on Texas A&M, 37 on Georgia, 63 on Oklahoma, 42 on Clemson. When a guy does, when a guy goes to a place that's traditionally struggled offensively and produces those sorts of results, it's worth taking a risk on him. And I think what's the challenge now for the Panthers, they need to find guys who can fit his system because it's going to be his first year as a play caller. It's going to be his first year as kind of the top guy. And... So I think what you need to do now, whatever he believes in, give it to him. I know they need smart they, – they, 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 that same system, they like to have smart receivers who can adjust and fly, get them smart receivers. I think DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel can probably be those guys for him. Get him the sort of backs that he needs. Get him the, the, the move tight end that he had, Thaddeus Moss. Basically, get him, get, get him at least – it doesn't need – you're not going to put together an all-star team in one year. But get him guys who fit the system – so he can get his feet wet as a play caller, and he doesn't have to adjust the system as year in year one as a play caller. But I think it's a great hire. Question number two from John Worrell. That's at John underscore Worrell. Should the Redskins take Chase Young number two or trade back and address depth problems at defensive back, tight end, and O-line, given the number of first-round picks already on the Skins D-line and perennial rash of injuries? Yes, the, the, the Redskins should take Chase Young. No, they should not trade back to address the myriad problems on their roster. I'll just tell you this. Look at the Niners. Like You cannot have too many pass rushers, and Chase Young is probably a better prospect than Nick Bosa was coming out. You have, again, the Alabama kids inside, Jonathan Allen. Um, you know, On the outside, obviously, Montez Sweat drafting him last year. You've got a chance to put together a dominant, dominant defensive line. And we saw what Ron Rivera was able to do when he had those sorts of groups in Carolina. So I absolutely positively would draft Chase Young with the second overall pick. You can figure out your other issues down the line. But 100% if I'm the Redskins, don't get cute. Don't get fancy. Just sit there at number two. Let the Bengals take Joe Burrow first. Take Chase Young second. Question number three from Jeff. That's at Scat Pack. 
Uh, do you think George Payton will take the Browns GM job? Jeff, I think that he will take the Browns GM job under certain circumstances. Here's what I mean by that. Think if Josh McDaniels had been offered the Browns job a week ago. He would have had to come back to Cleveland and had another seven or eight hour meeting to sit down and explain to the Browns one more time exactly what he needed and exactly what sort of system, exactly what sort of setup he'd require to run the program the way he thought he needed to run it. And so I think with George Payton going back for a second interview, this is as much Payton interviewing the Browns as it is the Browns interviewing Payton. And to me, if you're George Payton, you're in a position of power right now. Hiring Payton would give the Browns a lot of credibility. It would, I think, take some of the heat off for the way that the last few weeks have been handled. And so if you're Payton, you're in a position of power because you can bring credibility back to the organization. So you ask for everything that you need to ask for now. You don't wait. You ask for it now. All the issues they've had with communication, you get those cleaned up now. And so I sort of look at the idea of hiring Peyton as the same, the same as hiring McDaniels, and that McDaniels went in there with a little bit of leverage and the stomach to make to say, I believe that this needs to happen for you guys to win. And if you don't want to do all this, that's fine. Uh, we're just not on the same page, if that's the way you look at it. And I think Peyton's got the opportunity to do the exact same thing here. I think because Peyton's a guy who has options, who's got a great reputation, who can wait, who has waited, I think certainly you look at him and say, if you're going in there, dude, make sure you get everything that you need. Make sure you don't leave any stone unturned. Make sure that you address absolutely every concern you have with the organization and it's taken care of before you take the job. And if he takes the job, I think it'd be a great sign for Browns fans that a lot of this stuff has been taken care of. Uh, question number four from Vinny DeBlack. That's at on in tube. Why should I have any excitement being a Falcons fan? Vinny, because they look great at the end of the year, because I don't think the talent's that far off from where it was when you had the Super Bowl team three years ago. Um, and I think the coaching staff is in a better spot now. Um, you know, this year two with Dirk Cutter back in the system, I think that'll help. Or year three? Year two. Year two with Dirk Cutter back in the system, I think that much will help. And I think having Raheem Morris as the defensive coordinator should certainly help too. Raheem was seen, in, and the interesting thing about Raheem, he was seen as this rising star coordinator uh, back in 2008, 2009, or position coach. Got promoted right up the ladder, was going to be the defensive coordinator, got promoted to re- instead to replace John Gruden as the head coach, probably wasn't quite ready for it. You know, some things went sideways. It damaged his reputation, and he had to sort of rebuild. He's always been a really good coach. He's always been a really good communicator. And if you talk to the people in that building, the communication on the defensive side got so much better over the last half of the season when they moved Raheem Morris over to that side. And that's always been a strength of his, and it's not surprising that it happened. What is What was a little crazy was the sort of results they got, how things just flipped on a dime. And so I think having that set up there, having the, the, the coaching staff streamlined a little bit, having Raheem Morris back with something to prove as defensive coordinator, having – you know, having Dirk Cutter in a second year back as offensive coordinator, I think they're set up in a better place to succeed now, and there's still talent in that roster. Question number five is from Matthew Bazelli at Buzz529. How many quarterbacks go round one? I would sit the over-under at three and a, three and a half. Uh, Joe Burrow, Locke, Tua Tungavaloa, health permitting. Like So long as the, the, the medicals aren't just a total disaster, I'd say he goes round one. I think Justin Herbert, he's a first-rounder. And Jordan Love is the interesting one to me. 
So I think it's either going to be three or four. And I think Jordan Love is sort of the wild card. Very, very talented. Had a great season in 2018. New coaching staff in 2019. Things did not go the way that he had hoped they would go. And his like his tape is not good from 2019. But I'll put it this way. I've had some teams say to me, this is going to be a little bit like Patrick Mahomes three years ago, where there's so much physically there to like that there are going to be teams that are going to quietly like him and you're not going to hear much about it. And maybe he'll be projected to go with a 20th pick and 25th pick, whatever it is. And now all of a sudden we get to draft day and someone stuns us by taking him 12th overall or 10th overall or whatever it might be. And so Jordan Love to me is sort of the wild card here. I think it'll be at least three and maybe four. Finally, question number six. This is from Jack. Who is the best option for the Eagles OC position? Well, I think Kellen Moore was would have been their number one choice. He obviously staying in Dallas. Graham Harrell, I think, intrigued them. He's staying at USC. So it'll be interesting to see how hard they push to get Mike Kafka. I think Mike Kafka would be the guy. He's got background in the system that Doug Peterson came up in in Kansas City. Um, they didn't overlap in Kansas City, but there's obviously a lot of common knowledge there. And so I think Kafka would be the best option right now whether or not he become whether or not they can get him out of Kansas City is a, another question my guess is the Chiefs will, will, will keep blocking him and we'll see if they could work something out there and whether or not like Kafka can get himself out of there but I do know this like internally the Chiefs feel like he is ready to be an offensive coordinator like if Bienemy had if Bienemy had, had, had gotten one of the head coaching positions, I know Pat Shermer's name was out there for that. I think it would have taken Andy Reid about 15 seconds to promote Mike Kafka to offensive coordinator. So he is the heir apparent, which is why I think that there's a good chance that he gets blocked. Maybe the Eagles and Chiefs can work something out. But my guess is that the Eagles probably will have to move on to the next game. Appreciate you guys coming out. It's a little bit of a weird week, but wanted to make sure that you guys got your podcast on Tuesday like you always do. We always appreciate your feedback. You know where you can get me on social. Uh, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, and support all of our podcasts, right? Like, And you can do that by banging on the MMQB podcast, NFL podcast feed. There you get my podcast. You get Connor and Jenny's Weekside podcast. You get the Monday Morning podcast. You get the Thursday podcast. All of that is on one feed, and you absolutely can help us out by leaving a rating and a review. That helps people find us on iTunes. And then you can also get, if you're still hungry for NFL content, the MMQB News Podcast. I do that a couple times a week. Basically, five minutes, in and out, everything that happened on any given day. Say you're getting out of work, you haven't had a chance to pay attention to anything, you want to catch up on everything, it's the best way to do it. You get in your car, you, 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 you hit on the MMQB News, uh, news feed, boom, everything you need to know is right there in bite-sized form, five minutes, in and out everything you need to know. So you can get both those podcasts, the MMQB NFL podcast and the MMQB news podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. We're there and we'll be in Miami same time next week. I'll see you guys then. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. 
So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.